Caps Lock Emotions with Jimmy Evans and Ian Campbell. Like the metrologists of the world, which are people who determine measurements, they like measure things. Um, they are changing what one kilogram is. Mm-hmm. This has like been a slow process over like the past couple hundred or not hundred couple decades. They've been changing. Used to every basically every measurement was based off of a physical thing. So one kilogram was actually this like solid little chunk of platinum that they keep in France that they would weigh every couple years to make sure that that's still a kilogram or whatever. Um, and the problem is like the past couple years they've been measuring it it's been losing micrograms which are one tenth of a gram so it's getting lighter but because that's what we base all measurements off of it's not getting lighter the world is getting heavier so they want to eliminate that possibility um, oh they, they want to eliminate that possibility of reality you know they, they want to maintain control and understanding of reality so they're now switching all over all the measurements so they're based off of um natural occurrences rather than physical objects so like based off the like a meter now is the distance light travels at a certain speed or whatever in a vacuum um and like joules are now based off of like a very specific like electromagnetic frequency and they're doing the same thing with like weight and gravity they basically want to make sure that those remain constant they're based off of like physical physics constants you know yeah literally like g e like the things that are like the building block of like a lot of like physics equations so that like they can maintain control over over reality, over reality. yeah that is because the movement to the metric system like actually happened during the french revolution like after the french revolution before then there was an imperial system in france so everything was based off of literally like the personal details of who was in charge like yeah a meter case. yeah a meter used to be a king's foot yeah it was like oh my the, God. The distance. So it was literally based off one of the Louis' feet, like the size of their feet. Um, wow. And weight was the same thing. It was based off like a certain like metal that was like a high denomination currency or whatever. Um, so then after the French Revolution, they're like, we're going to invent a system that can like unite all of Europe that'll be standardized, that'll be based off these physical, commonly occurring uh, elements, basically. Mm. The difficulty was that like, this premise was like about like a people's measurement like it was like a that will stand the test of time it'll be for all people for all time was like the phrase Mm -hmm. um but platinum became increasingly rare and valuable and uh a lot of the other other measurements became inaccurate as like the earth has changed um you know the earth has changed in size the sun has changed in size since they originally determined you're blowing my mind so uh that's why they're now trying to base it off of like constants in science rather than um physical objects so i want to understand this more is there like a person there's one person who like measures well there's like a bureau there's like a, there's, a bureau. there's an organization of scientists it's like a combination of like physicists chemists and um these metrologists who are like literally just specialize in measurement um and they all meet every couple of years and decide okay. like are we going to keep doing this yeah but they're like the they're like uh, the Unicode Consortium, but for the metric system. Oh, that's weird. If you're familiar with the Unicode Consortium. Uh, I, They're the people who like decide what emojis will be. Yeah. And they, when they make these decisions, then it's like, like who tells the president? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, it doesn't matter for us because we're not on the metric system. Oh my God. I didn't a lot of our science is conducted in metric, 
but then it's converted into an imperial. We basically, if you're a scientist in the U.S., you use the metric system. You use the metric system. Yeah. yeah, this is like the horror element of this because it's like I understand that somehow this is going to affect everything. It, it's <laughs> but... like infin, infinitesimal like difference between the platinum thing that they used to weigh and this new electromagnetic thing that they're using. Like you would only notice if you were in a lab environment conducting experiments. Then you might have to do some slightly different math. Yeah. But for like for the average person living in Europe, like they they still weigh the same. Like they're not gonna get on a scale and it'll say something different than they yeah did before. It's weird. But it's I mean a change is gonna happen. But still crazy that some French dudes get to decide that. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's lots of things like that, right? Like lots of consortiums that are yeah. like for nerds, but then they yeah their decisions decide the impact of reality. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned the Unicode consortium. Thing. Yeah. yeah. They don't just do emojis. They do lots of different like computer languages, right. and they set this like the visual standards basically, so that like even though they're like computers are programmed with like different programming languages or websites are programmed with different programming languages, there are certain standards that everyone will meet. So there's some basic level of understanding. Like you could be right. a Chinese programmer and still understand. Like yeah, yeah. Like the internet changes constantly. You know, there's. I mean, I don't know the names of these groups, but I do know there. this is, like, a decision made by groups to, like, modify HTML, which is the oldest, or one of the, like, foundational languages, scripting languages. Right, the, like, websites are written. Word for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, web services and technologies are written. Right, they'll, like, add a feature. Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot. Of, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things like that that describe your world that you have no say in uh, how it's described. Like, let's decides we forfeited our right to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, wait. What else is like that? I mean, uh, numbers things. All numbers. Things. Yeah, number things. I guess are like that. The numbers have become increasingly standardized across the world, but. It used to be more different, but be, you know, partially because of the metric system, like a lot of stuff has become standardized mm -hmm. in terms of colors. I like that too. For like Pantone is a company that, like, their whole thing is just deciding the names of colors. Is that really what they do? And doing like color forecasting, basically. So they determine like what colors will be popular. Right, best known for its Pantone matching system, which is a proprietary color space. Used in a variety of industries, primarily printing. I think it's just How like. How can a, you own a color space? Well, it's like a standard thing. It's like if, like, you print a book here and it has a red cover, and you want to make sure that when they print it in China, it has the same red cover. They have to have like a common reference item that they can refer to, and so it's that color thing, so that they can reprint. I don't know why I. This is what I imagine will happen, but like a plane will like fall out of the sky, <laughs> right? And that... suddenly, like, yeah, all technology stuff's working. That's a funny image, though. That's like the image of like uh, reality has collapsed. The plane going straight down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Spiraling. Yeah. I don't know if that's a 9 11. It's our greatest achievement, getting planes in the sky. But why do I think that, like, if we changed like a decimal in a computer somewhere all the planes would fall well, it's the like sky. the y2k thing where everyone was like we don't even know what'll happen if it changes it all these computers we never thought we'd get to the year 2000 yeah here we are these computers gonna do when they add an extra zero 
Yeah, I feel like I really get the hysteria of Y2K, which is like people realizing that reality or there was an understanding that like technology had become enmeshed in everything that it was basically like yeah. every single thing was related to the computers. Which is so funny because he were it to show so someone worse. from 1999 <laughs> right now, they'd be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. A hundred times worse. Everything, yeah, yeah communicates or is somehow mediated by what people understand about computers. Mm. And you realize that. And then you realize that, like, that one thing is, like, completely abstract. Yeah. In a way that, like, a number, like a, like a wrong symbol in this massive stream of symbols could just, like, kill the entire thing. Somehow. Yeah. It's also super poetic that it would be time would be the thing that would uh, dismantle <laughs> human civilization, you know? Like that, yeah. There's a certain poetry to that that I think lended to like easy narrativization in your head about like uh it's it's been in the cards forever this would be the thing that would destroy us our inability to look ahead right yeah we couldn't conceive of the year 2000 or we just didn't care that was the rest yeah it was like like, oh make more computers whatever it's fine yeah yeah Yeah. i wondered though in y2k i would bet there was like people who were like religious about it and people who were like it's or whatever anti-semitic about it you know what i'm saying like this is the strands of crazy people yeah i i've been trying to because i wanted to write a movie about y2k because i think it's like a really at least in 2018 to me it feels like a really fascinating uh moment in u.s history (laughs) um and but i've talked to adults who lived through it who were like adults when it happened and no one has like any no stories or like i've asked both my parents i've asked like my grandma like i've you know i've asked adults in my life who have no you know no crazy stories no like any you know like we were you know packing up the boxes we were like downloading the onto the hard drives in case like everything got messed up yeah their faith was unwavered they didn't like yeah or it just didn't i guess computers felt inessential enough maybe that, that too yeah that it didn't seem like it would be a huge deal also, they're not like you know, in the stock market or whatever, or like dealing with right. enterprise software or anything crazy. Yeah, but there must have been uh, fringe scenarios within, within yeah. the hysteria, yeah. like his like the existing hysterical American people that I can think of right. would be emboldened by like a story that uh, all the computers are gonna die. Yeah, because of the year two thousand. Yeah. It's like why they didn't buy a computer, and also like why they that own a gun. That's even stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna buy a computer because it's gonna break. Uh, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. But it's not gonna kill you if you buy the computer. It hasn't killed us yet. Unless a plane falls out of the sky. Right, because the computer in it broke. Yeah. I'm Mike and this is Baron. Say hi. Today we're looking at Yellies. This is one of the hot products this Christmas. This is trending in the top like 60 on Amazon right now. They're about 15 bucks. And what it is, is it's a little spider that when you yell, the louder you get, it goes faster. These are made from a toy company you've probably heard of, Hasbro. 
This is Harry Scoots. He's a little purple guy with yellow legs. It's got three button cell alkaline batteries that are included. So this thing's ready to go right out of the box. Yup. You got Bo Dangles, Fluffer Puff, Toofy Spooter, Klutzers, Harry Scoots, and Peaks. We got Harry Scoots today. Are you ready to see it? Yup. Let's open it. Open it. Okay. We need a knife. Only adults touch knives. Okay, Baron? Start making noise and your yellies will react, talk quietly or loudly, and see what happens. I don't, now be quiet, just talk like this. Look, now see it goes slow when you talk softly. See that? Slow. Okay, it spins around for some reason. I don't know what that is. Okay. Now yell at it. <laughs> but if you talk quietly at it, it'll... <laughs> you gotta know how to go quiet. <laughs> Just be quiet. Don't yell. Baron, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love the Yelly? And then like the conspiracy plot of Monsters Inc. that like actually, like fear is actually like a very unsustainable fuel, you know? And that like laughter, like other f wow. forms, holy shit, is like that, burn is pure. Really? Yeah, that's the plot of Monsters Inc. That they collect screams. That's why they yeah. have to do their job, but and the screams, screams power are... their world. And the the dirty lie that. Uh, you know, the boss of Monsters, Inc. tells them is that, like, oh, yeah, this is the only way this works. Until they learn that, like, there's a much cleaner and purer fuel that's been held from us, and it's, like, children's laughter. Or it's, like, you know, yeah, basic happiness. That's some good kush right there. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, <laughs> that's, why, it's a, that's why it's a good movie. Yeah, That's a good movie. Yeah. Who, that's interesting, who's invested in it being fear and not laughter the man in charge of monsters inc uh what's his name the crab man right? yeah the crab man why does he want it to be does he know it's laughter or is that like kind of a day uh, sex thing of i don't know if they ever like fully go into how much he knows but it is very clear that he's making sure that they only use screams because yeah. you know it keeps him in charge and it keeps him on top or whatever right and that's why uh to counteract the deficiencies of using screams like the screams aren't enough they have to get more screams which is like why they pioneered the literal thing where they kidnap children and like suction the screams out of them you know i know it's <laughs> yeah. just like right it's yeah. like it's the whole thing it's just it's, it's crossing all the wires yeah. i don't know i don't yeah what was my childhood understanding of that though i mean i loved that movie that was maybe my favorite pixar one mm. almost i think when i was a kid like i really was just hooked on the premise yeah oh yeah because it's such a fun twist yeah because it's interesting because i was so afraid of monsters and scary movies yeah. as a kid i wouldn't watch them yeah right and like uh there is that again that like f great joy of like the thing you were afraid of and didn't understand is turned into heroes right, right. they're just and they're like very world. human right they like live in yeah. a fake new york and they exactly like, you know are roommates or whatever right as they make them as friendly and delightful as possible mm -hmm. transformed so there's that going on and, and it's it, funny that like the kid that's the catalyst for this new understanding of their world mm -hmm. is not afraid of them 
she calls him a kitty like she calls uh, mm-hmm. Sully who's like the scary horned monster like a, a cat because in the movie you know implies like some uh, maybe a children's like simplistic more simplistic understanding of the world is actually a more correct understanding of the world they're not, they're not, they're, you know they're not immediately jumping to fear as like a, mm-hmm. a way of uh, dealing with things and it's other powers and entities that make them you know interact with the world in that way yeah because they need monsters have to scare them they you yeah. know they have to like find a way to scare them yeah i mean this is the school thing right of like uh, when you go to school you enter into what everyone kind of understands to be like a factory penitentiary like even the teachers kind of feel that or joke about it right but everyone there does it because it has to be that way because when you go out into reality or whatever when you go out to the real world you're surrounded by laws and you have to follow the rules and show up on time and you have to do it we have to suck the screams out of you because mm-hmm. that's how it has to be yeah because we need screams to power electricity yeah that's, that's a cool movie too as a kid because it like presents a structural <laughs> problem and even as a kid you can understand how you can solve a structural problem you know because you're kind of like it's a great twist and you're just like how are they how are they going to stop? They have to get screams. Yeah. And it's like, there's other types of whatever energy. Right. Or just like a big problem like that can be solved too. Yeah. That's Pete Doctor. Yeah, it's Pete Doctor. Mm. And he did uh, Inside Out too. It's interesting that like Inside Out being more granular mm-hmm. and like less about a world and more about like a specific idea and experience that humans go through. Mm-hmm is both like more vivid and moving i think and like maybe also a bit more manipulative and like maybe misses the point or it doesn't miss the point but you know like it it Mm -hmm. is like both more vivid but also maybe a bit like shallower in terms of like its application yeah uh, than monsters Inc. there's kind of one thing you can pull out of that that's like a very nice profound thing yeah you know articulated so well for a child or whatever but it does feel like the one thing I don't know. I guess you can't say that like a kid watches Monsters, Inc. And it's like, I get climate change. Right. Or like the finer points of capitalism. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Or right. Labor. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's there. It's there. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. And you do understand it. You just have a different understanding of it that no one, you know, whatever. An economist isn't going to listen to you. But yeah. you do understand it in a way. Yeah. Yeah, whatever shortcomings of either film, it's nice that uh, someone is trying to engage with those ideas at all right. in a way that's presentable to children and families, you know. Yeah. And like, yeah, and it is disar- disarming of them, like, and their preconceptions in an interesting way. Because like maybe Monsters Inc. or Inside Out didn't change anybody's mind, but it certainly uh, takes any kind of preconceived notions you have and like turns them on their heads. A preconceived notions about about like the way things are and the way things work and the way yeah. things the way we understand things you know yeah let me tell you how yeah. how you understand things. Yeah, there's yeah. a little there's five little people yeah who run you know, your head yeah you're in your brain this is the yeah that's the good narrative storytelling thing mm-hmm. like enter my idea of what living is like yeah 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 it's always like my here's my funny idea of like how things could be <laughs> And then I'm going to dismantle them by showing you that, like, they're not working the right way. Or, like, in the best way. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. He's good at his job. He did a good job. Those are weird, though, because 
made by a scary corporation. Well, Pixar. Yeah, that he's in charge of now. He's in charge of. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? He has no creative input anymore. Or no, I think he could still make a movie. He's like a John Lasseter. He as a him and this woman. Uh, I can tell you her name. Mm-hmm. Pixar is basically run by two people now instead of John Lasseter running both Pixar and Disney Animation. Mm-hmm. Um, because of his, you know, yes, unfortunate being one of those predilections. Yeah. Edwin Catmull and Pete Doctor are like in charge. Okay, and uh, it's the, yeah the lady who wrote Frozen and someone else who are in charge of Disney Animation now hmm. because of John Lasseter's right. thing. Disney Animation is like a big hero sex or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and basically they. In uh, Record Ralph, they basically like absorbed a lot of the talent and people from Pixar when uh, Disney bought Pixar. Oh, that's weird. So what happened to Pixar? They're like Pixar still exists, on... and like those people still work on Pixar projects. Like they're still allowed to pursue their own work or whatever. Yeah. But a lot of like the higher up, big think, big idea people like John mm. Lasseter mm-hmm. moved over to Disney Animation. Since there was like several years where. Disney just didn't make any animated movies. Yeah. Right. I watched Coco recently. Mm. Did you you saw this one, right? Mm-hmm. Fuck, it's a good, it's good. good one, man. It's really good. good. Solid. There's like some ideas in it that I'm like like concerned that they weren't like further Yeah. Like why like I know why, but I was like why? <laughs> Uh, in terms of like how the land of the dead works and how we cross over why is there literally border control yeah that like you could have imagined your mm-hmm. afterlife like beautiful like expression of mexican culture afterlife in any way and you chose to have it directly reflect uh america's tenuous relationship yeah so no strange that was such a choice and it doesn't it didn't really and it only exists the for the plot there. yeah I love that moment though because if it's fascinating, I don't know, just to present, you know, it's you know, you understand, right? It's the wall, right? Yeah. It's not like uh, because it's Mexico and you're an American watching it. I guess yeah. that's why you think that. Yeah. And uh, to see it in this alien context of like a fantasy afterlife world, it's like exhilarating, right? And then it and doesn't they don't really go back to that in a way. Yeah, it's not about like migration or mobility right per se it's about memory it's about memory yeah which that feels like this the thing right of like it became more vivid and precise in a way that is kind of disappointing yeah yeah it still works exceptionally well or whatever yeah. but like maybe misses a, a point it could have made or mm-hmm. whatever and it's still a great Pixar twist in them of like what's actually going on, you know, mm-hmm. like who the villain actually is. Because right. you know? I didn't really call uh-huh. it. I didn't think that that would be the case. And in fact, I would have accepted a version of the story where, you know, the character who's revealed to be the villain is like his relative or whatever. And that that's just like a bad fact about his life. You know? Yeah. But it's neat that it's like a misunderstanding on both sides that's created the world that he lives in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't. In Monsters Inc., they solve the energy problem. In Coco, the border problem is not presented as a problem. Right. So like, yeah, like why, why can't why, why can the spirits only visit one time? And why do they have to prove that there's still people that remember them? Yeah, 
it's funny because there's lots of justifications for it. Like, it's only one day of the year, man. But it's like, no, you've made it all up. Right. So, yeah, like, like why? Like, like why not all the time? You yeah. can make up the rules. Yeah. And if you're going to, like, use this loaded image, you really need to make up the rules right. in a way you can. But this is getting back to, like, a thought I had watching it. Because I watched it a second time. First time I watched it with a bunch of kids and I couldn't really understand what was happening. Oh, okay. But I still cried when you're right. supposed to cry. And watched it again very affecting still um and like i did kind of feel and i felt this way about inside out too which is like i just felt like used up in a way like um yeah i was manipulated yeah which is someone's very like gently but forcefully pushing you towards something right i enter into the theater to be manipulated Mm -hmm. like i know that but then like it happens so effectively that I yeah. kind of am like feel bad about it. Yeah, there is a yeah. a lack of uh, messiness in Pixar movies that reflects how well they make them and how long they've been doing it, but also maybe uh, a lack of human qualities that they're like very interested in the human experience, but um, lack some of the humanness that they may have used to have or that. Uh, other films have what it is because it's like because they're very focused on the cathartic moments yes they are like creating it and arriving at it in just the right way and oh yeah yeah oh yeah no it i watching it for the second time i was like every frame of this has been like there was like meticulously like workshop people yeah thought about yeah every scene 15 people that have different skills needed to like bring this scene to life and all of them like it's like corporate in a way there was like a person at the top who was like uh, adventurous but melancholic. Like not enough. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, we're doing it. Yeah. Adventurous but melancholic." And it's like, it's like too much adventure in this one. Yes, not enough they adjusted yeah. it, and it was like yeah. perfect, complete, constant. Mm-hmm. You know, two hour long emotional manipulation, engineered to perfection. Felt weird, um, but it's funny because people would say maybe that like they're oh how can you say that they're not human when that moment when. Like, what could be more human than when you're crying because he's playing the song to Mama Coco, right? But I I still get what you're saying, right? Like, so why is it's like the catharsis thing doesn't make me feel human in a way. It makes me feel like I was used. I think that's kind of like why I like the Brad Bird Pixar movies Mm -hmm. and like him as a dude is like, it's never not clear that there's like a psycho behind it. You know, there's like a, (laughs) a a psycho perfectionist dude behind this. And it shows in the movies because like, the movies are very much more concerned with like ideas rather than human experience. Like Incredibles, Ratatouille are all about like ideas about like how um, art works and how people mm-hmm. work together, mm-hmm. you know, rather than like what it feels like to do something or you know think about something. Yeah, and it works. Like in in that way, it leverages the kind of uh, precision of Pixar in the right way. Maybe I think. Yeah, because it's uh, they're. In the engine or whatever, everyone is being like directed towards making something complicated, mm-hmm. like an idea yeah. is complicated yeah. in a way that a feeling is not is and not. shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a feeling can't really be complicated in the way that an idea can. Mm. Well, I don't know if that. It's they're just different. They're just they're different. Just different. They're yeah. just different and suited for different things. It feels like Brad Bird will problematize the things that he's thinking about because it'll be delightful in a way. Yeah. But uh, other Pixar movies aren't as interested in like 
complicating or problematizing a thing as such as they're more interested in like the ride or yeah but like they'll ex- but it'll be expressed in the back end and like the shadows of it the back yeah. end of like how it was made and the shadows of it will still be cast on the movie and that's why it sometimes feels weird it's still problematized because like the, yeah there's like 15 people in a room and there's a guy who walks by and occasionally says like nope not, not enough <laughs> not enough sad or whatever a little more sad yeah yeah animation is really weird in that way and really different from other filmmaking right yeah, I was like, why does this work more than if humans were, were doing, doing it. it? Yeah. And I think they would say, like, oh, because it's more than human. But <laughs> the answer is no. Because <laughs> literally every human thing that's happening here had more human people behind it and more human thought about it. But it's not, mm-hmm. not always the same thing. And then it makes me think about, like, the messier Pixar movies that weren't as well received and, like, maybe they deserve further consideration like brave i'm just gonna say what are the ones that people or like, like the first cars people like the first cars cars two sex they like it more than cars two but oh. they still think that it's like uh and it was like a way to sell merchandise yeah but it makes you think about the ones that people don't like as much and like maybe there's something else going on in this you're good dinosaurs well good dinosaurs just got, got really complicated that was like a movie that was made, half made multiple times with different people. See, I haven't seen different people like shuffled in and out of it. Wait, but what's a bad one that you like? Do you know a bad one that you like? I didn't like, I didn't like dislike Brave. Um, and I like Up, but I definitely see the problems that people have with it. Like, I have, I like Up a lot actually because yeah. I think it's really weird. It is so fucking weird. And that's why I like it is yeah. like it's such a crazy idea that was saw, seen to completion. And even if parts of it weren't as well thought out as others, and it's definitely not as good at doing the Pixar thing as other Pixar movies, it can only be made by Pixar, you know? Like, only them, only they would produce a movie like that. Yeah. And I like I like the angle on it, too, that, like, it is very much, like, about uh, mediating the old age thing and loss or whatever. Because mm. you have two very different old men in the movie who are at odds. Yeah, it feels like that movie leverages the fantastical element of it being animated. The fact of it being animated makes yeah. it like fundamentally strange in a yeah. way. So like, why not have air battles between? Yeah, the but dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old dogs flying planes and giant birds and talking animals and stuff. And a lot of that is tied to like a specific adventure genre thing. But still, right? If you're gonna be animated, you should have. I don't know why be animated. Well, I don't know. You could be animated and tell just like a human and uh, a non fantastical story. But if it's there, why not draw crazy shit? Yeah, why not go all the way? Why not create an entire world, right? Like in Monsters Inc. Right, or yeah, or imagine what the inside of someone's mind is like, and create like weird rules and like yeah, bureaucracies around it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, this is like the cool language thing, which is that it makes intelligible. Like, whether or not you describe the the thing in full, that's probably not what it's doing. It's not really even the point. But something about it is made intelligible when you articulate it. Like, when you imagine it and try to express it. And, like, there's an element of, lang- er, there's an element of uh, animation, which is that just painted on walls right like 
I guess any art is this, but like animation is that, right? More than even a movie. Because mm-hmm. they're making all of it. They're making all of it. They're like, we're going to paint the inside of a head and it's going to have, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's going to, you're going to look in the background and you're going to see something over right. there. It's going to be a three-dimensional space. It's going to be made up, but we're going to make vivid our idea of what it looks like. Right. We're going to turn them into objects with weight. Yeah. That's like the yeah, we'll determine the physics the of it. The physics yeah. of it. That's what it is. Like yeah. you... Yeah, it's the, the physics of the things in an animated world are fucking interesting. So they always ask us what we do to keep the house safe from the, from the kids accessing the guns. And there's actually a little bit to this because you got to think, you can keep the guns safe, but you also have to be able to access them. So there's somewhere in there we have to find a happy medium, somewhere between having three vaults, putting magazines in one, guns in another, rounds in another. Uh, obviously that's super secure, but if we ever had to get to them, that's no chance. Somewhere between that and I just got loose guns hanging around everywhere for the kids to play with. Somewhere in between there, we got to find a happy medium. So we're going to go over some things that we do uh, that kind of fit the bill. Let's get started. The first part of gun safety with children is awareness. The thing you're afraid of is a monster and you're afraid of it because you don't understand it. And that's most monsters in life and in stories are those things. There's something that we don't understand. Or it's so simple that we think we understand it and we don't understand why it's behaving the way it does. Because I think... I think, yeah. Yeah, like I was thinking about like what makes the pretzel jack thing work in Channel Zero. And like, because it's not like a scary thing. Like it looks funny. Like it looks weird, you know? It's like meant to look silly because like a child dreamed it up or whatever. Um, but it doesn't move in a way... It's like moves in a disarming way and then that's like where the uh, misunderstanding comes or like the lack of understanding is that like it doesn't behave physically like it should um, and that's like really unsettling. Yeah. Have you, you know, have you heard of this in regards to like snakes? Oh yes, this, this is like, I have, do you want to explain it? I have heard this, I think. I just know that there was, there's something like um, that was studied in the movement of a snake, its ability to like whatever go forward without legs uh and like someone had studied it to a point where like the numbers 
the physics of it were like mind-boggling like it didn't really make sense how like the energy expended could make you move in that way or something and this sort of the detection of this like fundamentally strange or the the inability to fully understand how it moved is like what has been the fear of snakes from the most beginnings of time or whatever like the first person who saw a snake also realized that like a snake doesn't make sense to move in that way yeah to slither and you know that like uh being surprised in that way is like responsible in some way for the presence of snakes as like this fearful thing throughout right. like history dragons they, they the don't devil. make sense that's why they're like a baked in human fear because that is also a thing and like has been a justification for the collective unconscious there are people who have never seen snakes who are immediately are afraid of them and they say like oh it's because we all share like some basic understandings in the world hmm. unconsciously but it might also be that there's just something <laughs> disarming about the way that they move that you don't have to know what it is to know that it's scary yeah. i was thinking of uh frankenstein again because we could brought it up and like the i think a common misconception when people read that story is that um it's about victor frankenstein it's about the person who made the monster um it's about like the horror of making something and not understanding it well my thinking of like why that's an important misconception that people make that people think that mary shelley is talking about uh, the like limits of a creator or whatever like the limits of creation as like a writer uh, is like a poor misconception because she identified with the monster like part of her backstory is like she was like adopted and not loved by her family mm-hmm. and like lost them at a young age as it was and always felt like out of place and like an outsider and didn't understand like why she was put in this world like why she existed in this way you know she seemed to have been given like a difficult existence for no reason other than like she was made and she had no say in the matter Mm. um and that is very much in line with like how the creature feels about its own existence and there's like a really shallow understanding of the creature and you could say like the creature behaves like a monster to victor because it's being mistreated by someone who doesn't understand it but like by the end of the story the creature has moved beyond that you know like it's accepted its uh wretched status Mm -hmm. And it is now um, just trying to be alone. And uh, Victor yeah. won't leave it alone. He won't leave it alone. Yeah. Because he wants to, like, he both wants to distance himself from it, but also wants to understand it because right. he's responsible for it. Um, and it would seem that, uh, yeah, some, something in that misunderstanding or in that, like, that we should be more like the monster than we should be like victor frankenstein this is really fascinating because it feels like so i'm I'm thinking of this and i'm thinking of like wow this the the like emotional mode of this story feels more like a tragedy or like you know it's like melancholic right more than horrific or something but i think there's there's still horror in it it's still like got that element of it but the horror belongs to victor frankenstein a little bit more Mm mm-hmm I mean, you know, it's horrifying to be, like, chased by a mob of people. But you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. more like the existential anguish is, like, the thing for the monster. And then the horror is the thing for the creator. Mm. And that makes me think, because there's this element of horror which is, like, always kind of reactionary in a way. It's, like, often afraid of things that are new, you know, in, like, a fundamentally conservative way. Yeah. 
um, and this is sort of like fear belongs to the person with the power, you know, right? Right. And uh, to the person who doesn't have any power, it's just their stock isn't like horror so much as it is just like that sadness of right. being disconnected from everything. Because, I mean, as a genre, right, it wasn't like Mary Shelley thought she needed to have jump scares in it, you know? Yeah. It was being invented at that point. But this is like the blueprint of monstrosity in all types of other stuff. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I think people with guns are the mob. But unfortunately, like, the people in charge of the world are Victor Frankenstein's, yeah. you know? And both are bad. And uh, both are responsible for the suffering of the things that they deem to be monsters. Exactly. They're the people that are horrified. Yeah. Yeah, the horror comes from them, right? Right. Yeah, or they they are the ones surprised by the snake. Right. But it's like, it's just a snake, you know yeah. what I mean? If you kill the snake because you're afraid of it, then you're like, I don't know, that's the Frankenstein story, right? Yeah. Because it moved Yeah. differently. And I think that, like, unintentionally, like, can further justify the monster being called monster. Working and labor is, like, actually, like, very brutal and, uh, like, completely incomprehensible in a lot of ways. Like, how a person goes from not being hired to being hired, like, it does there's no logical, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't follow any kind of logic, really. Because uh, there's a lot of, like, gut decisions that are made by people who don't even understand the person they're making those decisions about. Absolutely. Um, you don't understand it, but you do know that it could kill you if you don't do yeah, it. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically. You could be starving yeah. and destitute. Yeah. So it, it further justifies monster being called monster because yeah. being hired, like the job market, is another black box like a computer. We don't understand how it works. We just know that it could fail us one day and it might ruin everything. Right. And Mary Shelley was a badass. She like fucked in graveyards. Nice. That's the yeah. This, this romantic stuff wasn't just a game yeah for her, for her. yeah it was real she was like inventing that shit yeah. cemeteries are sexy mm-hmm. nature I think that's too why the uh, like portrayal or like yeah it seems like why the portrayal of um, the creature in Penny Dreadful is compelling is because it is like a, he is like a very like conflicted and an ultimately like human character because he's very, he ends up being just as selfish as a human, right. you know. Well, I think it definitely lends credence to the idea that, you know, Shelley saw herself more in the creature than she could ever in Victor Frankenstein, right? right? Because even in that show, like, the way the creature speaks, I think he might literally have, like, read Mary Shelley in oh, a way. Oh, right, yeah. Almost. Yeah, yeah. He, like, read the romantic's and the poets basically. Yeah, those are like his favorites right he doesn't yeah. he get asked a couple times like what is he like right that's like his touchstone of mm-hmm. language this is like how he learns to speak right. so he expresses himself like like he could be writing frankenstein right which is really interesting yeah what if we could turn this thing that's creepy into the hero of the oh heck yeah the representation of the hero you know hero heroicness yeah. of our mm-hmm. protagonist or whatever that's like a, that is great. Like as a as a writer, that's like a compelling challenge, right? Yeah, that was a great season of TV. I think so. To do that, or like just right, just right. I would say, I would say just right. Yeah. Great. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to have to compare it to. That's other true. Things. You know. Yeah. Comparing it to other things, 
would make it seem lesser, but also that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, like for taking on that challenge of making the something scary and then making it like you cheer for it, yeah. that's great. That's like the great cathartic thing of like horror that I wish I got more out of, and I get it becoming to to kind of despise in the like art house horror because they hate that they don't want to give you the catharsis of that yeah well it's yeah. not about catharsis. I, it's hard to find examples yeah right it's hard to find examples. i believe there might be a version someday but yeah yeah there's no reason why not to but right now there's like been a couple movies yeah that are not interested in, they yeah, they're, yeah. That. what other movies the monster is the hero frankenstein frankenstein right mm-hmm. he's definitely the pov character so it would go to, it would follow that he's the yeah. hero it starts or even does the same thing of like it's strange and scary and then it's like you feel you are the monster because right. you understand it's sadness or something yeah you are like rooting for it like that yeah um basically like a lot of horror franchises toy with the idea the longer they go on well, I think the the basic thing that you had said before that like the weird thing about horror movies is that you're supposed to want the monster to kill good. Yeah, yeah. That, like, even if they're not, even if they're the scary thing that will be defeated in the end, like, you still are definitely thinking about the movie from their perspective. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah. The moment when uh, it switches, it's like in the act of killing when mm-hmm. you're like, go from being scared to being like, uh, fuck. Oh, yeah, yeah he did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah, the guy is bad. Like the yeah. the human Frank or whatever, the human man who's like trying to reconstitute himself, is ultimately bad. Definitely. Like he had a, a shallow understanding of like what they were offering him, and then he is using whatever strange gift he learned to like torture people in the real world. Yeah. And then they come back and make things right by taking him back to their the dimension. Man is yeah. the hero in the yeah. end or whatever. Yeah. The monster on the cover. Yeah. And the thing you don't understand is the best thing to realize the most delightful thing to realize is that the thing you don't understand was actually there to help you yeah that, that's yeah that's why the that's why that channel zero season like gets to the very basic idea it was like the pretzel jack was like from her childhood misunderstanding of like what was going on with her parents right it wasn't her dad left and then she thought of him there was like some like fundamental trauma that she'd understand why it was happening mm-hmm. so she made this character in her mind mm-hmm. And then, like, the power that it gives her at the end of the series is that, like, I can turn my fundamental misunderstanding with, like, why the world is this way into, like, a tool to, you know, bring about some kind of justice or make things right, you know? I can accept my misunderstanding and use it as, like, a fuel to fix things. Yeah. Because that's what happens. That's what happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what most good people do (laughs) in the real world is they accept their shortcomings and try to work with them or work around Mm -hmm. them. And yeah, owning a gun is the path off, is the yeah the wrong step off of that path. Yeah, are you gonna kill the thing that you don't understand, or are you gonna let it save you? Yeah, in the third act. Yeah, basically. <laughs>
Well, a, a very, uh, not, not a very prestigious one. I, when I was in the crib, I was less than two years old. I, my brother and I stayed late and watched a program called The Outer Limits. Mm -hmm. And there was an episode called The Mutant with Warren Oates. And there was this creature that was bald with giant eyes. And it scared me. I started screaming and we shouldn't have been up late. Mm -hmm. My parents went out to dinner. My brother pushed me into the crib and zipped it. It has a, a mosquito net, and oh, he yeah. zipped him in. <laughs> and then in the middle of the night, he thought it was a good joke. He took a, one of my mother's uh, silk stockings, put it over his head, and we had these fried eggs that you, you bought in the ma magic shops, and he put them on, under the silk mm -hmm. uh, stocking, and it looked like two eyes. Oh, good. And he came picked over the crib. And it changed my life. I mean, it really, really destroyed my psyche, probably. What do you mean it changed your life? Well, because after that, I started having huge nightmares that were lucid nightmares. So I would go to sleep, I would fall asleep, and I would dream that I was in that room. And I saw creatures mm -hmm. uh, coming out of the closet, coming out of the rug. The rug was one of these shag rugs mm -hmm. from the 60s. Uh, it was green, terrible taste in decoration my parents had. And, and, and it looked like a, way, like a sea of waving green fingers. So I, didn't, I was afraid of climbing out of the crib, and I ended up uh, peeing in the crib. My mother would punish me. And one night I stood on the crib. And I said to the monsters in the room, if you let me go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. I'll be your friend forever. Mm -hmm. find the right thing. Yeah, not a great name for a show. No. Kind of ambiguous. So the basic premise of Revolution, let's see. The series is set in a post-apocalyptic near future in the year 2027. 15 years earlier in the year 2012, a worldwide event known as the blackout caused all electricity on Earth ranging from computers and electronics to car and jet engines to dis be disabled permanently. As a result, trains and cars stopped where they were, ships went dead in the water, and aircraft plummeted from the sky and crashed. Um, I guess they did have guns. Maybe I was thinking of something else. I remember like a big reveal of the show's first season was like we figured out... like. We, we got electricity back in this one place and it was bad or something. But what that is. Mean? Like people used, like people got greedy about it? Or... Yeah, well, because there was militias. Like immediately that's like what <laughs> yeah. took over the U.S. for like these armed yeah. militias, you know? Yeah. I But I feel like I, if that wasn't in Revolution, I also feel like I've heard You've heard something. of this idea, yeah. yeah. Which is a stupid idea, right? <laughs> like, uh... I mean, no, not to write a not to write a compelling science fiction story. I don't I think. Yes, I guess, but just a gun does not have like the scary like the the code, the secret code, is spoken wrong and all the computers stop working. A gun doesn't have that. It's like physics, right? It's like you pull the trigger. I think there's something very very pure about how a gun works. That this is literally the wand that I point at something and it dies. And I think it not working would be really um, difficult for yeah. a lot of people. The, one would hope that a reason why a lot of uh, conflict and armed conflict happens now is because guns have made it so easy. Yeah. And most people don't have the balls to actually yeah. hurt someone. Get you know? in there, yeah. Um, so getting rid of them could, could seem like a crazy idea. Uh, yeah, I'm being like annoying about it. Because I think, you know, I'm just being annoying about yeah. it, like the physics of it. Yeah. But it is, 
it does feel like the efficiency, the effectiveness of the tool is like what has made it one of the most horrible things to ever exist. Yeah. It's so successfully done. Yeah. And it's like over engineered. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it makes you think like uh, the, who thought like gunpowder was a thing before guns were a thing, right? Yes. In terms of like, like something fireworks. that caused explosions or yeah, it was used in I, I fireworks or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, so whoever made the connected the two dots or you know, it was probably more than two, but like <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that simple, but like whoever, you know, like got on the path to making the first gun was well, like Well, maybe the, it was two dots cuz it's just like you shoot like, the fire and you're like, what if I what pointed if I, this at Fred who I hate? Right. <laughs> or what if I use this to fire like a sharp rock at someone? Yeah. I guess is basically the thing. Projectiles had been a thing. Trebuchets. Trebuchets. Even like cannons, cannons yeah. existed. I think cannons existed before guns did. Yeah. It's yeah, I mean the real flaw was like the the purpose, which is to like end the life of of a human being. Yeah. All the technology. there's many different types of technology that are built around that. Yeah. And they just kept getting better and better. Yeah. Well and quicker. I was thinking about revolution and about Y2K. It's interesting that like those widespread, like this is a apocalyptic scenario, like all computers don't work or like there's no more electricity, feel like right wing fantasies. Whereas like a one very specific version of that where like just guns don't work. Yeah. Seems like maybe a solution. <laughs> Maybe like a good thing for the world. That if is... like specific technology, a specific technology just stopped working. Yeah. Because I definitely think that's the problem with revolution is that like people who watch it were maybe more into the militias than they were into the people who were trying to get electricity back for the world. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So what is this? Because this, this is a feeling that I just had, right? Which is that it's stupid and unrealistic that the guns would stop working. But then I have a conviction that, oh, I mean, the computers could stop working and the plane would fall out of the sky. Right. Right. Obviously the plane would fall out of the sky. Why do I... Why I mean they're both like imagined realities, right? One feels plausible in a way that the other one is lean. But they're both impossible is the thing. Right? Yeah. So why aren't they why don't I treat them equally if they're both impossible? Uh computers are a black box. Mm. Um and so is electricity, unfortunately, to some extent. Um we definitely know a lot about electricity and we're taught it in school or whatever, but most people don't actually know how electricity works. Uh, and computers are even more of that. It's like, it's this thing that I talk to and it does things for me. Yeah. Uh, and I have to connect it to the wall because the other scary thing comes from the wall and it powers it somehow, it makes it work. And then I also have to connect it to this other thing that like lets it talk to other computers, but also to like things that aren't in a computer at all, like another place where yeah. the, the computer talks to. Uh, and when you think about it like that, it's like, of course, yeah, like, not only do I not know how it works, or like, if it'll turn on when I turn it on, but like, who knows what would happen if it stops doing what it does right now. Absolutely, yeah, the way we interact with all these different, very complicated, infrastructurally necessary technologies is like, so helplessly, like, we don't know, understand anything about how it actually works, Yeah, that it is just like magic, essentially, or... The, yeah, like you yeah. said. Whereas, like, a gun, I think, is, like, a very base science 
oh, going so on. Oh, so crude, yeah. It's literally just combustion, right? If, and then there's some, like, aerodynamics and, like, wind stuff going on when you're firing a projectile through air. Like, resistance, I guess, is being considered. But basically a thing is exploding. Right. If all the guns... If all the guns were connected to each other... <laughs> in in a way... Uh, I'm like writing the science fiction story right, right. now. I think yeah. like uh, they're like all it's the Star Trek Federation phasers, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they all are on the same network. Mm. I don't know, right? That yeah. makes yeah. It's starting to make. It's weird how like you you can make the story make sense, and it does feel like you need to like it needs to the technology needs to get enmeshed is the verb in the world in a way that the world is so complicated and chaotic that the technology could fail in the way that like you know a car hits a person right right because the internet has that it's so deeply enmeshed in everything that like if it if it doesn't work it's like well it doesn't work in the same way that my heart stopped working and i had a heart attack or whatever yeah that kind of chaos getting struck by lightning getting struck by lightning yeah, yeah it feels very random don't understand why it happens right so maybe it's because I think I understand how a gun works. I'm not afraid of it. Yeah. In the way that I can share in the fear of a story that's about them all malfunctioning. Yeah. Which is why, like, as, like, gross and neoliberal as, like, every kid should learn how to code thing is, you know? Because, like, you can yeah. learn how to code in school, but it doesn't mean you're going to work for Google, <laughs> you know? Like, doesn't <laughs> mean you're going to get a job. Um the basic idea that like computers are essential and completely like we can't divorce them from living at this point like knowing how they work even a little bit or like how we use them to work even a little bit does seem like an essential skill to have because otherwise like you can get yourself into some sticky situations yeah you just or you just leave it up to somebody else right which is always a bad idea yeah Particularly with computers, yeah. there's a lot of horrible people, people that are yeah, who work with computers. Hold the, the the reins of like the entire machine in a way. Yeah, with their money, they hold it with their right, money. Right. Like they don't like decide what's on Google. Although I don't know. Well, I mean, I think they do that sometimes too. Sometimes that does yeah. happen. That's also why like lots of people are afraid of like Google creating like a stripped down version of itself, like a censored version of itself for. China, because it's like, well, well, if you're willing to kowtow to some authoritarian government, then like you might as well just start censoring the stuff that we see here, you know? Yeah, right. What's the principle? Yeah. If you're gonna, yeah, you have whoever asks, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whoever asks and could potentially get us more money. That is so funny that like the the fantasy of like the computer stop working versus the fantasy of the gun stop working. It's it's fascinating because the guns being removed is like seems way more possible to happen. Like they wouldn't stop working, right? We already mm-hmm. talked about like how that's like you know uh, whatever unbelievable in some way that the very mechanical clockwork action of it would stop working. Mm-hmm. But if you took them away, they would in functionally they would stop working. Yeah, I mean, the widespread removal of guns as an object in day-to-day life is not a ridiculous concept to consider because other nations have done it. Yeah. 
This is a thing. Not just by banning them, but by literally collecting the guns from people who have them. Mm -hmm. So, like, right-wing people have a right to be afraid, I guess, because other places have literally come to people's houses and taken guns from them, but whatever, you know, like, because it works. Right. Isn't that funny, the feeling that you need to, like, argue with someone who's like, but they're going to come to my house and take the gun away from me. And there's, like, I mean, I used to feel like I would have to, like, justify that for somebody, like... They're not going to come to your house. But now I'm just like, fuck yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, they will. Because why the They'll fuck? They'll pay do you, you for it, probably. Yeah. You don't need a machine gun. Yeah. Guns are complicated. Uh, the one, like, one complicating thing here is, like, uh, the. Um, I was thinking about this today when we were looking at, like, the anarchist stuff, but mm-hmm. there's, like, the Black Panther Party's stance on guns, gun ownership mm-hmm. was, like, very interesting in the like it's politics right there's a strain of it that seems familiar like it follows like the nra kind of to now now which is like this is about or at least people that are into like the second amendment a lot it's about like being able to challenge the authority of the state to do violence right kind of and like that's what the gun ownership was about challenging the authority of the state to do violence to people in these communities and like I don't know. Does does that complicate it for you? I can't tell if the, the, uh, it even uh, does the, for me. The, that's like the framing specific. they use. Yeah. Does that does that feel okay? Because it complicates it for me, maybe because I feel like I get that. But then if you know, Tammy and Bob from uh, Orange County want to own an M4, you know, like because they also believe in the Second Amendment, that seems stupid to me. Like. That should be taken away from them, the ability to do that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty, I would say I'm pretty hardline now in the sense that I think that no one, like, I don't care if you're, like, a police officer or an army man or, like, a government official or whatever, like, no one should have a gun because other places have made it work and there's so many other covert ways that can kill us that I don't, you know, really see any reason why anyone should have one. I'm also thinking that I'm removing it from the context of the time, which is kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. Trying to like come up with like a rule from that, but honestly, it makes sense because it makes sense at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. in a very real way. Yeah. I would. But think... then that's why this is what people owning guns now—they dumb. They go back to like 1776 or whatever. Yeah, that's why they like sure. the Tea Party or whatever the Boston Tea Party. The uh, yeah. It made sense at the time, I guess. They they didn't have a lot of confidence in the American project, I guess. Um, there was a very real sense that maybe this wouldn't work, which is why there's all these, like, all the early amendments are specifically focused around the Revolutionary War and, like, things to do with the Revolutionary Quartering War. troops. Yeah, because they were like, well, we don't want to, you know, we want to make sure that this can't happen again. We don't trust necessarily that it won't. Um, which is why, you know, it makes sense that, like, yeah, if your president turns out to be a tyrant, uh, you might want to have, I, I guess, a way right. to stage another revolutionary war and fix things. Yeah, there. This was actually a real fear when it was like, well, we just fucking deposed Did that the to government. That guy, yeah. So there's seems like it's possible for a government to be deposed. Yeah. Let's think about this or whatever. Justify it. Yeah. I and always remember the one about quartering troops in your house. Because it's so weird. It's so weird. It's really specific, and that one definitely has no. I can't think of like a modern example of what that would mean. Well, you know, I was—I think this is why I remember it because there's some. I guess it was used 
in maybe a Supreme Court thing, which has given us the right to you know, not have a police officer come into your house and oh, start okay. investigating. I'm pretty yeah, sure. I think that's why I remember it. Yeah. Because I finally understood like how the law works. Kind yeah, of. I think some of that has to do with like probable cause too. Is that like yeah. they can't enter into any like private space, whether it's your your car or your purse or mm-hmm. your house, without um, like a reason to like visual, some kind of like uh, sensory evidence, basically. Yeah, had to smell weed to actually go inside. Like not anymore, baby. Now you're token with the police officer. Yeah, now the, the cop right asks for a puff. If you own a startup, yeah. you're token with the police officers. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, hey, law is functions similarly to the symbology of the computer, right? Is that yeah? That I was also going to say it's like a system of standardization, like yeah. the metric system. Absolutely. Um, that there are like certain things that will be applicable all places. Certain like rules. Mm-hmm. Those are federal laws. <laughs> They're applicable anywhere in the United States. Of course, there's lots of weird gray areas now um, because some of the federal laws have become perhaps make no sense because perhaps they make no sense. So there's a lot, especially in California, there's lots of weird gray lots areas. Of weird laws, yeah. Because um, states are also allowed to make laws and cities. Yeah, the, uh... Have you ever been afraid of being arrested? Like, not maybe you don't even have to be doing anything that, that made you think, this will get me arrested, but mm-hmm. just, like, as a kid, you were like, I better not get arrested. Did you ever have that? I think I've always... I don't know. I can't remember a time in my life where I haven't felt, um, like, anxious around police. Like, definitely... Like, there, from what I remember, like, during my truck phase when I was, like, into cars and trucks and, like... Uh, civil servants which is like I, I think most people most boys go through this right. phase of like I want to be a firefighter or I like construction workers or whatever I don't think I ever like wanted to be a cop or like remembered <laughs> wanting to be a cop um, so I've definitely always felt unease around the idea of like oh well someone could just come and take like <laughs> come and take me or someone I know mm-hmm. um, yeah but I don't never like specifically arrested it but i've definitely had the idea that like yeah they can kind of just do that you know yeah. like they, they can just decide when that's okay and then they do it i feel like for me there was a point where i was learning about all the different kinds of laws and like maybe by virtue of being very young just it became sort of overwhelming in a way that i was like it became like if i step on a crack i'll actually break my mom's back or something mm-hmm. like there's this secret there's this mass of laws that are just like these wires that are crossed all over the world and like i'm young and i don't i don't know all of them yet and like what if i cross one and they take me away you know yeah that Uh, kind of fear that was discussed uh before study abroad before study abroad like Mm. in just like for all people not for specific countries or whatever it's just to like be mindful of not only how you behave like for like those reasons but also like just be mindful yeah. because there are different laws in different places, you know. Um, but I never felt concerned because I'm generally not a rude person in that way. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. A, I mean, for a certain kind of person, it's a very real threat that you could be arrested at any time for any reason. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. I mean, this was like a childhood. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. But even then. I've, I mean, yeah. yeah. You could. Uh, wait. 
You can arrest a child? Yeah. I guess, yeah. You can. <laughs> yeah, you can detain a child. Can you de- has a baby ever been arrested? <laughs> Do they make baby handcuffs? Let's see. So uh, we don't want to Google baby handcuffs because they do probably. Baby arrested. Nine month old boy arrested and attempted murder. No longer wanted by police. This seems like the kind of thing I would see shared on Facebook or I would see trending on Facebook. Mm. Like I have no idea where it comes from. It's like it's this probably stupid... not real. Yeah, it's probably not real. It's like not news in any like meaningful sense. I'm just uh wow, oh boy. I went the other route and I decided to look up baby handcuffs on Etsy. No, um, no. Some crazy stuff. No. There's a onesie for, uh, like, for a baby to wear. You know, it has, like, the little part where you unbutton to get to the diaper. Mm. And on the front of it is, like, a little tiny pair of handcuffs. And then the text, like, written above it and, like, that kind of, like, floral, like, handwritten print. It says, Daddy's favorite backup. <laughs> like, the baby is going to be police backup, you know, that'll help. Daddy arrests somebody. There's also another one that Jeez. says Daddy's Little Rookie. And it's like a police badge and then like a another open pair of handcuffs. And there's lots of like baby clothes where they can dress up like police officers. And one final one that I think is good. I asked God for a partner in crime, and he sent me my crazy grandma. And then a pair of handcuffs. (laughs) I kind of like that one, actually. (laughs) That one feels nice. So this is interesting. This is the nine-month-old boy Mm -hmm. arrested and attempted murder. Let's see. The ordeal started when several police officers and a bailiff went to a home hoping to get payment for a gas bill. A scuffle ensued during which the infant's father, one of his teenage sons, and others in the residence severely injured some of the officials by tossing bricks their way. Mm -hmm. That led authorities to seek out those in the house. An official document aired by CNN affiliate... Geo News shows charges of stoning and attempted murder. So, this was clearly done. This, you know, this is this is a, this is a great example. This is like police officers using the law, like extending it in a way. No, they're like operating within the law because there's like a kind of fuck. How do you explain this? It's like. They're doing this to just be cruel to the family who threw a brick at them. And they're, they're, this is like a clear example of like misusing your authority. Because you have the authority, right? Like your authority is still justified in the sense that like the brick came from the house. There's five people in the house. One of them happens to be nine-month-old infant. Right. And there's like a uh, idiot lawyering happening where that officer is like, well, you see your son, I'm going to put that baby in handcuffs too to be cruel to you. And this is like the element of the law that like you, I mean, you know, being a white dude, you'd have to slowly discover, right? Right, that this is what actually goes on. This is how, yeah, it's like being interpreted in an awful way. (laughs) It's like complete, it's just, it's not, it isn't like there's like a string of, booby traps everywhere that you trip over it's like there's no booby traps until 
the person covered in booby traps enters the house, right? Yeah, or I was going to say there's no booby traps. It's like instead there's like a set of magical tools that a certain class of people are allowed to use to do whatever they want. Yeah. um, And get whatever they want. Yeah, you're given the tools, right? That's exactly it. The law is a tool that an officer of the law applies to people that are just doing their day, whatever, doing whatever. I mean, mean, the the real tool is just the gun the gun is the tool and the law well, that's is the like... back that's the ultimate backup right i think that's a joke that's made in cop movies or cop stories before that like the real backup is on my waist you know yeah i mean it's the opposite though right it's like their backup is like the history of legal <laughs> tradition in their mm-hmm. country and then their like partner right there is the gun like the gun is the cop but what guarantees the belief in like following of laws in the United States is mm-hmm. not the social contract that we all sign by being born here. It's that there are people who walk around with the ability to kill you at any moment. Yeah, so that's that, why you're the afraid. The gun is the backup. <laughs> I see. Yeah. yeah, the gun is the backup, and then like I don't know. I guess the law is just like there to clean up after you. <laughs> yeah, to, to justify the, the use yeah. of it. Yeah, it's the cleanup crew, sanitation. Yeah. Um, that's why you're afraid when you're a kid because you understand that that's how it's articulated to you and then like adults convince themselves it's not like that right yeah or they don't care they know they don't they, care yeah, yeah they don't care I think it's off more often they don't care yeah because it won't impact them I think it's very easy to like do the psychological profile of like who ends up being a police officer or whatever but I'd be more curious on like what's the institutional history of like policing you know like where did that concept come from basically mm. Because it feels like, well, someone looking at the service level would say, like, it's a response to something, like the invention of police Mm -hmm. as, like, a job. (laughs) Um, But I would think that it's not actually, that's not actually the original intention of police, basically. Right. It's like, we need a way to have army in the U.S. or in the country Mm -hmm. or whatever, um, because the army is how we enact our will. Like, military force is how we enact our will. And, uh we should say that they actually exist to protect people or something. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think, I think that's like the gun thing too, like owning a gun. Like it's a good way to control things or it's a good way to tell yourself that you can control things because you definitely know that you can't understand things. You would think that like, if you understood something, you might not need to control it because like you might actually (laughs) be the same as the other thing or like have similar interests or whatever. Yeah. But if you, believe in your heart that you could never understand the thing then or you don't even get that far you don't even think about it that logically and you're like your first reaction is fear or whatever Mm -hmm. then a thing that allows you to control other things through fear of death seems like pretty powerful object to own yeah but you real that's the thing you're a kid you realize that there's the law is walking around with the ability to kill you on its hip and you're like oh i i can have that yeah right if this is, I mean, if you believe also, you learn more and you're like, this is the filament of reality in a way. This is like society is all these laws and people with the gun. And you're like, well, I can participate in that. Or that's just how I know what control is. It's paradoxically, the people who like say they own guns to protect them from the government. I don't think they think that cops are, or that police officers are an agent of that yeah i definitely feel that i mean i don't know i've never i don't want to talk to somebody who to like figure out if they're contradicting themselves Mm -hmm. but it definitely seems like i've i see 
I see a gun owner with like a, a Blue Lives Matter sticker, right. a Second Amendment sticker next to a Blue Lives Matter right. sticker, and it's like, what? You clearly don't actually believe, or you believe in? No, this is it. They believe in like the ability to control things. They don't care about like it being contradictory to believe this specific type of control, the Second Amendment, yeah. which is supposed to be an opposed to like that type of control the Mm -hmm. state they don't care about that they just care about like the ability to control in a way yeah and i guess they feel like equals (laughs) they're both carrying guns we i am also a cop i could yeah i'm the good guy with the gun yeah yeah that's seems like it's like a faulty it's like a faulty path to go on to think that that's like a solution to a problem or whatever and I guess it makes sense that a lot of people go down it because there's a lot of money put behind the idea that they should and that it makes sense and that, yeah, it would help them. They might like it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll feel powerful or whatever. Yeah. Shooting, you'll feel safe shooting this gun, yeah. learning how to shoot it or whatever. And I, yeah, their reluctance to understand the person at the other end of it or whatever, or like the thing at the other end of it that they're afraid of or that they don't know and don't ever hope to know. Um, like, I wonder, like, what that, what do they think that is, the person on the other end of it? Because I think, like, things we don't understand, like, we kind of sort into, like, a, there's a very few select categories that we sort the things that we don't understand or are afraid of into. The language is one of those standardized things. Yeah. And the beauty of it in comparison to the other ones we have in our life is that, like, it is very willing and ready to change at any moment's notice. And you have to fight anyone who tries to police that idea. Definitely. Because they are the death of language and life, probably. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something... The fact that everyone... No, not everyone. I was going to say something about the ability to speak, making... It's like everyone's... Uh, this is not This is not what I want to say, but help me out here. Yeah. The, everyone has the gun. <laughs> oh, to be able to... <laughs> to be to, able to... To speak and define things. No, that's not it. That's not I mean, yeah. I mean, the... I don't know. Talking about something and giving it a name uh, and trying to describe it is a similar... Is another kind of reaction that is in the same line as pointing a gun at it. Because you are yeah. often trying to describe something you don't understand or you feel like you may never understand. Uh, and and using language, you're trying to at least build some kind of platform that you could walk on out to to maybe get closer definitely. to it to describe it. I definitely believe that. So okay, it's getting weird now. The gun, uh, <laughs> like, doesn't shoot a bullet. It shoots like my self, yeah. capital mm-hmm. S at the it thing. It shoots your definitive, uh, your mind's definitive <laughs> opinion so about the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think too, like the means. If you can even say that there's a means in, like, using language to point at something and say what it is, is to, like, uh, bring myself closer to it, which is, like, what understanding it is, mm-hmm. right? And a gun is the opposite of that. Right? Like, yeah, well, gun is no... It's, it, right? like, requires and allows for a tremendous amount of distance between right. you and the thing you don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To um, be able to And yet it still trigger. is doing some of the job of language because it is prescribing value and uh describing just in like a really facile like stupid way because it's like yeah yes or no it's like so it's very binary yeah 
there it's almost kind of uh ups- it could i could understand a rock being upset by hearing its name is like a rock mm-hmm. right, <laughs> you know? right. yeah it's like that's it's like, all i am that's all i have yeah. this full life you don't all understand I am is just one thing you know which is more like how complicated matter is or something i, I mean i don't know who's the judge of that i guess we're t- god now is yeah. here like saying hey man don't don't yeah. call a rock a it's rock. not just a rock it's bigger than that yeah. man yeah there's um, a lot more going on and that uh, but that a uh, judgmental aspect is like that's the gun metaphor the gun is like a final judgment of the thing you pointed at um but the but the gun is a tool of power right that's what i was trying to say it's like it doesn't need to be disseminated in a way like because uh everyone has language in some manner yeah even if they can't speak but there are people who control what language is the relationship between people and law is often deeply it's antagonistic yeah or just has nothing to do with justice yeah at all yeah well just what's uh, justice happens after what is that, is that a justice phrase? is like a I don't know if it's a phrase but it's like an idea that I think has been expressed to me before that like justice is only about fixing past events oh yeah that there yeah, needs that to be something to describe what's the right thing in the present Thank you.